Scooter, I'd like to present the three Ds. Hi, I'm Dorothy. I'm Dinah. I'm Max. Yeah, Debbie was sick, so uh, the union sent me. Hey, Eugene. Wait a second, wait a second. Yeah. We need you, okay? Into the, into the theater. Orchestra rehearsal, Eugene. Hey, Bean, what's up? I'm going away. Forever. Oh, great. Could you get me a sandwich? Whoa, 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 whoa. What? You are not Mickey Mouse. You are a rat. Rich, Matt. Besides, they're tourists. What do they know? Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to apologize for our slight uh, technical difficulties, but I do wish to assure you that uh, no one was hurt and uh, this theater suffered only minor damage. W. my friend and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host Lou Mangello and this is show number 513 and I'm here once again not only to help you have the best vacation experience when you go to the Disney parks, but I also want to bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are, not just with the podcast, but with my videos, live broadcasts on Facebook every Wednesday night, my books, audio tours, special events, a few surprises I have in the works and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. So if you would have told seven-year-old Lou Mangello that one day he would have the opportunity to interview one of his favorite Muppets, he would have dropped his Muppet puppets on the floor and lost his little mind. Well, more than four decades later, he did just that. As this week, I'm excited to share my conversation with Dave Golds, the puppeteer and voice actor who worked with Jim Henson and performed as the great Gonzo, Dr. Bunsen Honeydew, Waldorf, Zoot, and many others, including roles in Fraggle Rock, The Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, and, you might not know this, the voice of Figment in the Journey into Imagination with Figment attraction at Epcot. We talk about his career with the Muppets, life as and with Gonzo, and his new movie, Muppet Guys Talking. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then be sure to stay tuned to the end of the show as I'll have information about our next meet of the month in Walt Disney World, your voicemails, a few announcements, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. Christmas Carol. I am here to tell the story. And I am here for the food. And now, ladies and gentlemen, while you are a captive audience, a display of tremendous tap dancing talent with the added cultural component of a pot of flowers balanced on my head. Hit it, Rusty. Got a sense of humor. Hey, why don't you join us? Where are you going? We're following our dream. Really? I have a dream too. Huh? But you'll think it's stupid. No, no, no. tell us, tell us. Well, I want to go to Bombay, India and become a movie star. You don't go to Bombay to become a movie star. You go where we're going, Hollywood. Sure, if you want to do it the easy way. 
We picked up a weirdo. One of the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, muppetational parts of my childhood, a childhood which has spanned nearly five decades, by the way, has been the Muppets. From watching Sesame Street in the early 70s to tuning in with my parents, gathered around the TV, watching CBS at 7.30 at night to watch The Muppet Show, to performing my own version of the Muppet movie to my very patient and oh-so-very-supportive family in my grandmother's basement. I also loved being able to introduce my own children to a new generation of Muppet movies and the Muppets that I grew up with. And one of the brilliant, amazingly talented people who made the true magic happen was, of course, none other than Gonzo the Great. I mean Dr. Bunsen Honeydew. I mean Zoot. Uncle Traveling Matt, Waldorf, I mean all of them because they are, of course, the faces and voices of the incredible Mr. Dave Goals. Dave, I am so incredibly excited to have you with me on the show today. Well, you know what? I got excited, too, when you were doing that introduction because when I started out, it was during the Sesame Street years, and that's what I initially got attracted to. I just, I knew about the Muppets, but when I saw them on Sesame Street, it became a compulsion. I had to make my own puppets, and that eventually wound me up into this conversation. So so tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about sort of your early background and when you first saw them and how that started to gain interest, because your your journey was a bit circuitous because you didn't, from what I understand, you didn't see the Muppets once and say, this is what I want to do for a living. No, I, you know, I started watching the Muppets in the mid-60s when they would appear on Ed Sullivan and Today Show, Tonight Show. And, uh, you know, I was in college, and my parents would uh, run in and tell me when the Muppets were going to be on, and I would take a little time off from homework and watch them. It didn't occur to me. It never even, I didn't have the faintest glimmer that I could do that, too. But I loved what Jim and Frank were doing. So you you love the show as a fan, but again, you didn't. Your your, your journey did not take you into this desire to start building puppets because you actually were an industrial designer first. How do you go from that path to what eventually leads you over to working with Jim? Oh, you do it by building puppets. Um, I had, I had all the design training and uh, that included um, making models of, of designs and that led straight into designing and building puppets. So that's how I started and that's how I was useful to Jim in the beginning. So you were building these puppets, I would have to assume, like like me, you were performing puppet shows in your house and, and to your family. But I think the story of how you eventually meet Jim and started working with him is fascinating because you really were, to a certain degree, just a kid with a puppet and a dream, but no prior professional experience or training as an actor or puppeteer, right? Right. I mean, it was it was just a left turn for me. I mean, I, designing and building was was a logical outgrowth. So it was it, it placed me within Jim's company. I worked in the workshop with some amazing people, and uh, we all built puppets there. But Jim knew from the beginning that I was also interested in performing. But I had zero credentials. I had never taken an acting class. You know, other than being a silly person, um, I had no I had nothing to recommend me. Except I did take to it. You know, I. I instinctively copied the manipulation style that I saw the Muppets doing. I didn't know the reasons for it, but I copied it. And I felt 
very comfortable performing characters and doing lip sync and manipulation right from the beginning. You know, it just felt like something I, I felt I ought to be doing. So you go to a conference in California and you just sort of happened to meet a man by the name of Frank Oz. Was that something, did you go into that conference with a deliberate intent to try and seek him out and, you know, audition for a role or was it sort of a, a happy accident? You know, I was just, I was sort of like a moth with a flame. I, I just, <laughs> there was no choice. I had to take a day of vacation time leave Hewlett Packard, go drive up to Oakland to where Jim or Frank was performing and <laughs> appearing. And I, I, he gave a little seminar on how to use puppets on TV, and I went to that. And I chatted with him briefly and asked him if it would be possible to visit Sesame Street in the event I ever got to New York, and he said, sure. Of course, there was no plan to ever get to New York for me. But then a month later, I got a business trip. and uh, And bang, I was in New York, and... I spent. Uh, I took some more vacation time and spent a whole week visiting Sesame Street because Frank was gracious enough to arrange it for me. Um, so I, I met a lot of the people there. I met Bonnie Erickson, who ran the workshop. Charles Spinney, who does Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch, was extremely nice to me. Took me out to lunch, and I just, you know, I felt comfortable in in Jim's culture from the very beginning. Now, did anybody at HP know that you had this, you know, second life at home where you were a puppet builder and puppeteer? Oh, yeah, they did know because I worked in a big R&D lab with uh, partitions that were about five feet high. And <clears throat> I, I actually worked on some of my puppets during off hours at work, you know, doing some of the mechanisms and things. And um, so it wasn't uncommon for one of my characters to pop up over a partition and talk to somebody who was walking by. So people knew about it. Uh, they invited me to do a, a performance at somebody's retirement party. And then I arranged, uh, or I was actually invited to do, uh, perform a couple of characters on a, an internal videotape about how to use the international telephone Thailand system. <laughs> so I worked, I worked on that and, um, and, and so the company was actually using me as a puppeteer before Jim did. <laughs> <laughs> so you you meet Frank, you meet um, uh, Bonnie and Carol, and you eventually get a job with the Muppet Workshop. But how do you go from being a, a puppet builder there to rising through the ranks to becoming one of the main Muppeteers? I mean, how do you sort of uh, you know convince Jim Henson that you should be one of the guys? Well, um, when I first met him, I showed him my design portfolio, and it started with things like airline interiors, uh, tractors, things that I was designing in my professional life. And it wound up with my first puppet that I built, and then the second one, the third one. And I had a couple of puppets with me. And at that meeting, Jim put one of my puppets on, and we were ad-libbing together. I had another one of them on. And we were ad-libbing. And I remember thinking, I'm ad-libbing with Jim Henson here. I can't, I'll never forget this. This is the best thing ever. And uh, I didn't really look beyond that. I just thought, wow, what a great day this was. But um, Jim knew when he hired me that I was interested in trying puppeteering. So he, he said, well, if you come work in the shop, I will work with you to uh, develop you as a performer. And then if we get a uh, special or some, something like that, um, you can perform in that. 
and he was absolutely true to his word, as he always was. Um, he and Frank came in a couple of times during that first summer and did workshops with me in front of the mirror. And um, and then at the end of the six months that I was in New York, we got a special. So I stayed a little longer to work on that. And Jim uh, had me perform three characters in that. And that was kind of the beginning. And this is like the mid-70s, right? This is the this is the Muppet Valentine special in 74? Yes. So yeah, you, we shot it in late, 70, late 73. And you have a character that you designed, Brewster, which you perform on that. But how do you go from being this you know, relatively secondary new character to really becoming one of the most most popular Muppets with, with Gonzo, really, I guess your first major character? Well, a couple of years after I joined, we had the opportunity to do the Muppet Show. And I had, I had performed, meanwhile, I had performed in one of our specials, which was called Sex and Violence with the Muppets. I had gotten to do a couple of things in that. And uh, so when the Muppet Show came along, Jerry Nelson's daughter was ill, and so he stayed back in New York uh, and missed the first season of The Muppet Show. So that just left uh, Jim Frank, Jerry, sorry, Jim Frank, Richard, and me. There were only four of us. And so I was given Gonzo, as, who was intended to be a major character, and um, and Luke Saxplayer, who was in the Duck Teeth Band, uh, and uh, Bunsen Honeydew. And, you know, I just had to learn on the job. And I, I felt completely out of place. And this is something that was amazing about Jim, because I, I, you, you couldn't say that I was really qualified to be on an international variety show at that point. <laughs> but he let me try, and he, uh, he finessed things so that I didn't look too bad. He didn't, he didn't overtax me, but he always challenged me. And he did this with everybody who was starting. He would, he would give you a little more than you could handle and, uh, and see what happened. And, and because he was protective and nurturing and... Uh, uh, wanted to grow people, I grew. And how does it come to be that Gonzo, you know, is born? Well, the puppet itself was built by Jim himself for a show called The Santa Claus Switch, which was a special that the Muppets did with Art Carney a few years before the Muppet Show, before I joined. <clears throat> and um, Jerry Jewell thought of a character for the show who would be um, just an absolute loser who did uh, <laughs> stupid acts and thought they were high art. And, uh, of course, that made Jim uh, naturally think of me. And uh, so I got, uh, I got brought into this, and so that's how the puppet and the writing and me came together. And um, it, it sort of went from there. You know, I was able to struggle through trying to become competent at performing at the same time as handling that character and a couple others. And it, you know, it just eventually, it eventually started working. And as you try and sort of find Gonzo's cadence and his voice, how much of you is in his personality and how much of his, of his personality is in you? Well, of all the characters I do, and it's, it's a bunch, you know, it's probably 20 at least. Um, He's the easiest one to ad lib with, so I, I guess there's a certain degree of overlap, and also the fact that he's a very free form guy who's expected to do the unexpected. So that makes him a very fertile ad libber. It's really, it's an easy 
it's an easy thing to just go off the stanza and start ad libbing. Um, and, and people seem to like it. So, so uh, of all the characters I do, he's the one that I am most comfortable with if I have to work live or in front of a crowd. Well, I guess you have to be able to ad lib as a character like him when he has a, a, a moment where he has to interview real dancing chickens for his act. Tell us about that first interaction and how it's sort of, you know, Gonzo's weird fascination with poultry. Well, that particular one started because we had Mike, the animal man who supplied all the animals that we used on the Muppet show. And our writers thought it'd be funny if Gonzo had a dancing chicken act. And, and so they called Mike and he said, yes, but I need three weeks. I can train chickens to dance, but it'll take three weeks. So they gave me three weeks. And when it came time to shoot, Gonzo was down in the basement auditioning chickens, sitting on a box. And um, Mike was outside the door. He would just toss chickens in. So the first one came in and did nothing. Uh, none of the chickens, by the way, learned how to dance at all. So finally, one chicken came in and pecked around a little bit and then wandered out the door. And I, Gonzo called out to her and said, uh, you know, don't call us. Uh, we'll call you. And he turned back to Cameron and said, "Nice legs, though." <laughs> and that was the that was a that just made Jim laugh. He was standing off camera and he just cracked up. And it was set in stone after that. Gonzo's attraction to chickens led him to have a chicken girlfriend. <laughs> so one of the things I loved <laughs> as a kid watching the Muppet Show were the celebrities. You know, you never know who was going to be there each week. Who or, or what was one of your favorite guest stars on the Muppet Show? Well, I was amazed by everybody because you have to remember, I was really right off the sofa. You know, I, I didn't belong there. I was unentitled to be amongst those, those luminaries. Um, and I, I think I still am amazed by everybody that they can come in and just do what they do. Elton John can really sing and play like that. Um, Jonathan Winters is hysterical. He's a wonderful ad-libber and he's just fun to be around all the time. And on and on and on, you know, through 120 guest stars. But I think one that meant a lot, I think, was uh, Peter Sellers. Because when, uh, um, when he came, he, he, he was pre-interviewed by our head writer, Jerry Jewell, and uh, said something about he really liked Gonzo because Gonzo reminded him of Inspector Clouseau. And, you know, Peter Sellers was one of my absolute heroes growing up. I mean, from the time I was a kid, I just loved his, his work. And... So he wanted to be in a scene with Gonzo, and that was written, and we did it. And uh, we ended up having dinner together. A group of us had dinner after his shooting day, and that was something I'll never forget. It was a round table in a private room with about 10 or 12 of us. And all evening, Peter was doing characters. And it was like a private show from Peter Sellers. It was absolutely amazing. You know, for me, I think one of the reasons why I love Gonzo and I think why he's so endearing to so many people is not just because he's a fine actor, but he's a wonderful singer as well. Uh, one of my favorite songs from Muppet Movie is I'm Going to Go Back There Someday, which I know Paul Williams wrote. Were you the singer first or did Gonzo help or make you become one? Oh, my God. I'm still not one. I have no business. <laughs> I have no business anywhere near a recording studio. I mean, I wouldn't be allowed to get coffee for people. It's it, it's one of the great good fortunes of my life that because of this work, I'm allowed to be there in recording studios making music, and I've been in them for thousands of hours. 
and they're really fun places to be. And, and when you're singing and performing, it's even more fun. And then, you, you know, you get involved with the mixes sometimes. Um, I just... I, I, I just, it's just one of the great privileges of my life to be in that world. Yeah, and you said, you know, you're talking about sort of the... the uh, I, I can't imagine that any day was typical, but right, you'd be performing, you'd be singing, you'd have to do this very sort of weird, bizarre performance art mixed in with a little bit of, of high culture. Um, did a lot of that come from the writers? Did some of that come from you? That, that sort of weird mixture of, you know, eating rubber tires to Flight of the Bumblebee? Oh, I think I think that was the writers uh, or Jim, and uh, we have to give amazing credit to the writers on the Muppet Show because they were they were absolutely brilliant and they there were only about four of them at a time and they they put out an enormous amount of material. These days you have ten, twelve, fifteen writers on on a series like that. Uh, so these guys, <coughs> excuse me, these guys did that all, and they were they were stunning. But there was always room for improvisation. You know, Jim's way of working was that uh, everybody probably had something to contribute, and he wanted to know what it was. He, and if he liked it, it was included. And that was true of everybody in the studio. That's what's so endearing about Jim. You know, uh, anybody with any job in the studio, stagehand, anything, could walk up to Jim and, and suggest an idea for a scene we were shooting. And he would stand there and talk with them and, you know, discuss it a little bit and add an idea or two and and then give it some thought and then he'd decide whether or not to use that idea. But everybody felt heard and everybody was invested. Everybody was part of what we were doing. And it was an incredible studio environment. It still goes on today. You know, we, we had uh, production for uh, our series recently, The Muppets, and the whole crew was like that. They were... They were just a huge part of the process. Yeah, and I and I am I was always fascinated with what the culture must have been like, not just between all the performers who were looking to make their characters stand out, but you know, Jim Henson, I have to imagine, was you know not just a performer but a, a teacher as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what that that culture of the studios and the movies and the sets and the company as a whole is obviously he was very approachable in terms of new ideas. Well, Jim, right away, uh, the first thing you would notice about Jim is that he looked vulnerable. He was very thin and tall and a gentleman, very kind to people. And it was easy to start feeling protective of him. You know, he worked so hard and he got tired. He didn't ask for any kind of sympathy and he was always full of enthusiasm, even when he was tired. I think he loved being tired. But um, he was just, he, he sort of established this tone uh, that said, we're going to have some fun, and you can come along too. And he believed that there's enough in the world for everybody. There's enough food. There's enough of everything. We just need to share it. And he just absolutely adored diversity. You know, he loved all sorts of different people. And... Uh, so that sort of set up a culture that invited everyone in, and we all got to contribute, and we all got to shine. And um, I've never worked any place like that. Can you, and, and I hate to ask a difficult question, but can you talk a little bit about his passing, not just from a business and a cultural level, but, but personally as well? Because I, I think of the passing of Jim Henson similar to the passing of someone like a Walt Disney. 
Well, there are great similarities between the two in the sense that they pioneered in their art forms and they really grew their own talent. You know, Walt ran classes, evening classes for, for animators. He brought Bambi in, he brought a deer in to be uh, studied and drawn by the animators in preparation for doing Bambi. And I remember being a kid, being eight, uh, eight or ten years old, and watching coverage of that on uh, the Walt Disney television program and thinking, God, that's where I want to work. I want to work in a place like that. And I sort of set off and eventually forgot about that and had a, a normal job in Silicon Valley. And then I wound up in a place that was just like that. You know, we were sort of pioneering and developing techniques for things that hadn't been done before. Working for a guy who was absolutely charismatic and and he made everything fun. And we worked really hard. You know, I worked 10 times as hard there as I did in any other job I've had. Um, I don't know. Have I answered your question? Yeah. I mean, obviously, it you know, it's difficult because I'm sure the his passing affected you and all the performers in so many different ways, especially when you have to take over a character for him, right? So you take over the character of Waldorf after he passes, you know, how much of it is trying to make him your own versus trying to emulate Jim's performance? Well, I, I felt that I was a stand-in and, and I did it for years and years without ad living. And, and then I realized, oh my gosh, I've done Waldorf longer than Jim did. And uh, maybe I should, you know, try to take ownership and try to try to make it my own. And I still haven't really, I haven't really embraced that. You know, I just, I still feel that I'm standing in for Jim. And to go back to your other question, <clears throat> Jim, while he looked vulnerable and he looked frail, was stronger than any of us. He could outwork anybody. He was, he, he was just tenacious. He was just amazing in the way he would. He would work until we got it right, you know, and in a very relaxed, pleasurable way. But he was a hard worker. And when he died, we, we couldn't even process I couldn't even process it. You know, I had been in New York to record some audio for the Disney theme parks. And Jim called in sick. We recorded our parts. And then we all scattered. And I went back to California. When I got home, there was a, there was a string of messages on my machine from Frank and from Dave Lazer, our producer, saying he was ill and he's not expected to make it. He was at New York Hospital, call us. So I called, and I think over an hour, I called the hospital three times and talked to these guys before it started to dawn on me that Jim was not going to make it. And then I better get back to New York. And because I just couldn't imagine it. I couldn't imagine something happening to Jim. He was so robust. Anyway, I got back on a plane and had to change planes in Chicago, and I called the hospital at, you know, 5 in the morning, New York time, and there was nobody there, and I knew that, I knew that he had passed. So I got to the office, and people came in from all over the world. I mean, our associates and colleagues. We had a radio telephone message from uh, a yacht out in the Mediterranean that Jim had chartered once for some of us. We went out on a week's trip in the Mediterranean with Jim and this, on this yacht. And the crew loved us so much they, that they were absolutely bereft when they heard the news. And from the Mediterranean, 
they called our office in New York to express their condolences. You know, it's like like Walt, even after his passing, It is it surprising to you that after the Muppets debut back in the mid-50s on Sam and Friends, that they're still so popular, they still resonate, there's still an emotional connection, not just with the older Muppet fans like myself that, that grew up with them, but a new generation. Like, what is it? What is it about the Muppets, do you think, that makes them so timeless? Well, I think they're authentic. They're just authentic beings, you know? They are believable, and they deal, they deal with important themes, you know, themes that we all deal with. Of feeling disincluded or uh, being heady and excited. You know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm rambling and I'm not giving you good examples, but, uh, you know, the themes are pretty universal. The Muppet, the Muppet intrigue in the backstage of the Muppet show, the jealousy, the Piggy's, Piggy's approach to everything. Um, you know, Gonzo has a crush on Piggy and she hasn't got time for him. She thinks he's a creep. <laughs> you know, all these things that we all deal with in life were happening in that in that backstage environment. And uh, uh, I think that the, the authenticity of all of that is what comes through, in spite of the fact that they're, you know, they're a combination of pigs and bears and frogs and and whatevers. And I think I think it comes from the authenticity of the performers themselves. And I want to talk about Muppet guys talking, where you and some of your uh, uh, fellow Muppeteers talk about and share so many of these stories, but I want to ask one quick question first. It is with all the roles and all the different uh, TV specials and movies that you've done, do you have a favorite role, whether it's as Gonzo or anybody else, or, or a scene that just sort of sticks out at you as one of your personal favorites? Um, oh gosh, there are so many, it's hard to choose, but I, I would say that there are three projects that that uh, are certainly my favorites are the ones I've worked on, and and anybody else who worked on them would would agree. I, I loved Cyber Rock. I loved what we did on that. I loved Muppet Show, and I loved Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, Christmas Carol was a chance to really deal with some profound material, and to enhance it by being silly. You know, to enhance the pathos of it by. Uh, adding a little absurdity to it it just it just disarms you when you watch it and you you're that much more emotional I wish you could see the smile on my face that you me- mentioned Muppet Christmas Carol because as a Muppet fan, it, it is still one of my favorites. It is uh, absolutely the most one of the most important movies I need to watch and share with my family during the holidays. And I can hear you slash Gonzo. You can fit through those bars. Such an idiot. Like, you know, it's it's those things <laughs> that, that, again, make that, yeah. that serious, deep, um, you know, moving story so light and so funny. That was an ad lib, actually, that you are such an idiot. I, I, there was just something that I did in the moment, which goes back to your earlier question about, you know, the relationship between writing and ad living. Um, yeah, it, it's just been... Extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary to be a part of it. 
I'm sure. And that sort of brings me full circle back to Muppet Guys talking. Uh, you know, you're making a documentary where, because look, Dave, I could sit here, not that you'd want to, but I could sit here for hours just asking you questions to hear your stories. And that's what you do. You you get together with five of the original Muppet performers, Jerry Nelson, Fran Brill, uh, Bill Beretta, and Frank Oz. Tell me about how and when this concept came together and why and why now? Well, I'll tell you, um, it probably wouldn't have come together had not Frank married Victoria, because as she got to meet all of his friends, and Frank has a wide circle of friends, um, you know, with that include actors and crew people that he's worked with in his films, but also the, all the Muppet people. And of all of that, she was absolutely taken with the relationships that that Frank has with all the other performers and, and the workshop people too. And the brotherhood. And she is a consultant for businesses in terms of communication and speaking skills and um, productivity. And when she looked at this, she thought she heard more about Jim's, you know, Jim's culture that he established. And she thought people need to know about this. This is really profound stuff that, that Jim just instinctively created uh, an environment where people could could have fun and accomplish things that they never dreamed of. And uh, she went after Frank and said, gee, Frank, you, you, you've got to record this somehow. You've got to somehow capture this and convey it because it's valuable for people. And I think it took about a year and a half. I know at first he was thinking about doing uh, just an audio blog where we would go into a recording studio and just talk. Uh, and then it evolved into a full feature, a full film. And um, I think that was better because it's nice to see everybody. We spent a day in a loft downtown in New York you know, shooting it. And, uh, you know, that's how it came about. It really came about because of Victoria's... Uh, observations well the thing i love about it too dave is that you cannot convey the emotion and the passion in your stories in a book in in a blog in any other meeting to see the five of you sort of gather around casually sharing stories sort of just you know as they are sort of free-flowing from you it makes it in the clip that i've seen it makes me feel as a privileged guest like I'm sitting in one of those couches next to you, almost eaves, you know, permissibly eavesdropping in on conversations between not just people who create these iconic characters, but um, people who have done things that have, I mean, what you guys have done really had such a, a huge influence on pop culture. So I, again, I feel like it's a, a privilege to be able to hear you share stories in this way. Well, thank you. You know, we, we, the joy for us, uh, and I think I can speak for everybody, is that we got to do this stuff. We got to, we got to have work where it was play, you know? And we were so lucky, and it was so much fun to be with Jim. And believe me, we worked incredibly hard and still do. But um, it was all very psychological, you know? The, I remember when I, when I was about to leave Silicon Valley and go to work for Jim, I thought, well, you know what? I love Silicon Valley because the project, the product and the work I do is intellectually satisfying. But I'm looking forward to working on an emotional product. And, and again, so I, three characters, 
Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that through the characters, we all were dealing with our own issues. You know, there was room to do that. And, uh, the, you know, without going into it in a lot of detail, it was just uh, work that resonated deeply for us in, in terms of the characters we got to do and, and the things we got to express through the characters. And uh, it was, in that way, it was a growth process for all of us. So if we had not been noticed by anybody but somehow been allowed to keep doing it, we would have been completely happy. Well, the thing that one of the reasons why I'm I'm so curious to see it is not just because I grew up with the Muppets. I'm a Muppet fan. I, I want to hear the stories about the creation of the characters. I want to hear about the relationships with uh, between you guys and Jim Henson. But I think that I also I think that there's more to this, and I think that entrepreneurs and business people can sort of get a sense of this culture of playfulness and innovation and hard work that made the Muppets not just thrive, but continue on for so long. Yeah. And you know, I'm the same way. Whenever I see something that affects me, I want to know how it was created. You know, I, I, I've seen the shape of water a couple of times and I've never met, um, Guillermo, but I sure would love to. And I'd love to talk to him about how he, how he creates these wonderful films. You know, he must be an he must be an extraordinary creator. So my instinct is always to get in there and find out. And uh, it just happened that in doing that with the Muppets, I got hooked. <laughs> and here we are. Well, and I think you guys did something very, very smart. Again, very creative. Is that the only way that you can see Muppet guys talking is not by going and lining up at your local theater is by launching it online. So you really make this accessible to anyone and everyone around the world. That obviously was a very deliberate choice to do it that way. Yeah, Frank and Victoria gave it a lot of thought. You know, we, we premiered it a year ago at South by Southwest. And uh, ever since then, they've been, you know, looking very carefully at how best to get it to the most people. And um, that's why it's being done this way, because they wanted instant global reach so that anybody in the world could see it and uh it really feels good to do it that way it's sort of in line with how jim how jim was democratic you know and obviously there's probably so many reasons to make a film like this but what do you want people that that view it to to be a takeaway what do you want them to take away from from watching muppet guys talking i once talked at a at a college and uh, closed with, uh, you know, after talking about Jim and about the stuff we've done and screenings and things, I just closed by saying, so, you know, you're starting out in your lives. Uh, you might want to consider becoming a Jim yourself. And or, or, so I think I said, uh, you, might, you might look around when you start to enter the work world and try to find somebody like a Jim to work for. Somebody who has got that vision and that inclusiveness and sense of fun. And if you can't find one, maybe you can be one. I love it. Uh, the film releases March 16th at MuppetGuysTalking.com. Uh, again, Dave, I, I cannot thank you enough, not just for your time today, but for the years of entertainment you and the rest of the Muppet family have given to me and my family. Thank you, Lou. It was really fun. Thank you. Go with me. 
It's more fun to share. We'll both be completely at home in midair. We're flying, not walking. It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details, sometimes in what you see, sometimes in what you hear, maybe even in what you eat or ate. And if you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I took you over to Fantasyland and what I think is is one of the new classic attractions in a location that has been home to many classic attractions in Fantasyland. That's Mickey's Philhar Magic. Some of you guys might remember the old Mickey Mouse Review, which occupied that space back in the early 1970s. Attractions are somewhat similar in terms of having classic Disney characters, classic Disney songs. And your question last week was about the music, because I wanted you to tell me what the last song the orchestra plays in Mickey's Magic. Again, thanks to the more than a thousand of you who entered, got this one correct, and knew that it was, of course, again, going back to the classics, the Mickey Mouse Club March. I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and again, you were playing for my 102 ways to save money for an at Walt Disney World book, all seven of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, all of which, by the way, still on sale, just $10 each at the WW Radio store. I'm also going to throw in a WW Radio Magic Band cover, some stickers, a pop socket and a holder for your phone, and a shirt from our WW Radio collection. If you go to www.radio.com slash shirts, you'll find not only WW Radio logo shirts, some shirts that I created, as well as a ton of other Disney, Marvel, Star Wars shirts as well. That's why if you see on the online entry form, I now ask for your shirt size so I can order and send you a shirt. But last week's winner, randomly selected, is... Frank Trevisani. So, Frank, congratulations. I have your shipping information. I have your shirt size. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So this week, we were talking about the Muppets to a Muppet, so a question has to be about the Muppets, correct? Specifically, Muppet Vision 3D at Disney's Hollywood Studios. I'm sure you've seen it countless times, you know the script, you know exactly what's going to happen when, but how well do you really pay attention, right? Because last week I asked you about the last song played in Mickey's Felhar Magic. Well, this week I want to know, what's the first Muppet character to speak once you leave the pre-show and enter the actual Muppet Vision 3D theater? That's it. The first Muppet character to speak once you enter the theater. You have until Sunday, March 18th to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the online entry form there. And again, you're going to play for the book, the tours, the magic band cover, the stickers, the pop socket, and a shirt from the collection. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in this week. Thanks again to Dave Goals. I only wish we had more time. Again, you can learn more about his upcoming film at MuppetGuysTalking.com. 
And I'd love for you to not just listen to the show, but really become part of our community and family. The best place to do that is by going to www.radio.com slash community, joining our group on Facebook, being part of the conversation there. You can also connect with me online. I am at Lou Mangiello on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. And I'd love to hear from you and talk with you, not just on social, but if you have a question you want me to answer on the show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com. If you want to be heard on the air, be part of the show, call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. And of course, while I love being able to communicate with you online, I still believe that nothing beats a handshake and a hug. That's why I'm going on more than 10 years of doing monthly meetups in Walt Disney World. Our next meet is going to be Saturday, March 24th. And because, obviously, Lou Mangiello, it has to be around food. And one of my favorite places, one of my favorite foods, one of my favorite cities is New Orleans, Louisiana. We're not going to meet there, but we'll do the next best thing. Because, again, Saturday, March 24th at 11 a.m., we'll meet at Port Orleans French Quarter at the Sasagula Float Works and Food Factory. We'll have some beignets. We'll hang out, meet, chat for a little while as well. Of course, anybody and everybody is welcome. Come alone. Bring the whole family. Kids, always welcome. And, of course, the meets are always free. To find out more on RSVP, just let me know that you're coming. Go to our WW Radio group on Facebook. You can find it easily by going to www.radio.com slash community. I'll also be doing other Meet of the Month special events and on-the-road events as I travel to speak at conferences. Speaking of speaking, I would love the opportunity to speak to your conference, to your event, or to your group. If you go to lumangelo.com, click on the speaking tab there. There you'll find some of the different topics I can create and customize to your group, including a Disney difference, achieving the ultimate customer service experience, leadership lessons learned from Walt Disney, social media, live video, building community, podcasting, as well as a number of different topics that I have specifically for schools, students, and faculty. Again, to find out more, visit lumangelo.com. And if I can somehow help you turn what you love into what you do, you can also find out how I might be able to help you build your brand and business and do what you love full time. And one of the best ways I think that I can help you turn that thing that you love into that thing that you do is through my Momentum Weekend Workshop, which is returning to Walt Disney World this October. It is a two-day event where everything happens in one room. So unlike other conferences, you don't miss a thing. We have morning sessions with speakers who have literally walked the entrepreneurial walk and afternoon sessions that won't just give you practical and tactical advice to help you make real change, but you're going to put it into practice right there on the spot. There's also an optional mastermind day limited to just 10 people on Tuesday. This is an opportunity really for us to focus on you and your business. You'll get time to talk about your challenges, your opportunities, work on some actionable strategies and really make on the spot changes and improvements to your business, your brand, or website in order to help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Again, there's lots more to it. To find out more, visit loumangelo.com and click on Momentum Conference. Again, tickets are limited to just 50 seats. They do go on sale this Thursday, March 15th. And if you have any questions, you can feel free to email, email me, lou at www.radio.com. Thanks again to all the members of the WW Radio Nation family. If you want to find out how you can help not only support the show, but get exclusive rewards every month, including scavenger hunts from locations throughout the parks and resorts. We have a private Facebook group, early access to events like Momentum, custom personalized Magic Band covers, logo gear, backpacks, T-shirts, monthly care packages from Walt Disney World, and you can be part of our exclusive live video group calls and conversations and more. 
To find out more, visit www.radionation.com. And don't forget that a portion of your proceeds do go to the Dream Team Project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Thanks, as always, to Becky Mankin from MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official recommended travel provider because it's who I trust and, more importantly, who I've used for more than 10 years. Whether you're going to Disney World, Land, Cruise Line, or Adventures by Disney, or anywhere on the planet, they will give you the best possible prices, all available discounts, and it all comes at no cost to you. Visit them at mousefantravel.com and then go to celebrationspress.com to subscribe to Celebrations Magazine. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not. And all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share a link to this or your favorite episode on Facebook. And if you can, take just 30 seconds, if that, to rate and review the show over on iTunes It's really, really helpful, and thanks to you, we have more than 1,500 five-star reviews. I really want to thank and acknowledge some recent reviewers like TBB95, who said, It's a great show. I love the details and personal insight. Since there's no official Disney podcast, this one is a must-listen. It's good information with great personalized details. Lou's love of Disney comes through loud and clear. The only complaint I had, uh uh-oh, is that I wish he had more podcasts. Usually there's about 40 to 45 a year, which is a lot of content, but more is always better, right? Stay tuned, TBB. You never know what I'm working on. Uh, Mouse Ears 15 says, It's wonderful. I absolutely love the WWE radio show. I stumbled upon it by accident about a week ago. Loves lose, love lose knowledge and expertise of the parks and just enjoy listening to lengthy discussions about various topics within the Walt Disney World Resort. Sam Caravella says, This is a must listen for Disney lovers. Lou's podcast is so informative and so entertaining. I love his dining reviews. So do I. It makes me want to be more adventurous when eating at the parks. His podcast helps fill that Disney void in between trips. I love listening every week. Thank you, Lou, for your tips and tricks to make every visit a little more magical. Thank you, Sam. And DMM927 says, WW Radio, wow. I enjoy how you make each podcast feel like the listener is sitting next to you. It's exactly how I want you to feel. I am thoroughly impressed with the topics you've covered so far. I've only listened to about 15 shows and keep coming back for more. Keep referencing the old shows because I enjoy digging a little more into whatever topic you may have discussed in a previous show. Uh, thank you very much, DM. And I'm actually going to find, for those of you who are relatively new listeners, I'm going to, I have been working on a way to help you discover and enjoy some of the older evergreen content uh, that I have been doing for coming up on 13 years now. Again, to find out how to rate and review the show, just go to w- just go to iTunes, search for WDW Radio, or if you go to wdwradio.com slash iTunes, it'll give you instructions and a link right there as well. Finally, most importantly, I-, I am so grateful to you. I'm trying to figure out other ways to express my appreciation and gratitude for you, for your time, for your love, support, and, you- and your friendship that you've extended to me each week and in so many different ways. You literally have made a dream that I never knew I had come true. And that's what I want for you as well. I, I, I don't want you to let your dreams just be dreams, right? I, like Dave Goals, I think, is a great example and so many others. You know, you have to go beyond dreaming about or daydreaming about what you want to do. Stop waiting. Uh, eliminate the excuses and just start doing it. Like, if you have a dream, don't just sit there. Like, get that courage together. Believe you can succeed and do everything that it's going to take. Make every sacrifice you need to to turn that dream and make it into a reality. I hope that this is your best week ever. Thank you so, so very much. I love and appreciate you. So until next time, see ya. 
Hello, it's me, Jeffrey Johnson, again, from Bigsby, Oklahoma. Um, apparently, I ran out of time on the last message, which figured that was going to happen. But, yeah, overall, as I'm on my way to my first day of being a Disney cast member, thank you so much for all that you do to educate me personally on the Disney part. I'm long-term goal, going down, marketing to Disney World, all that stuff, doing the college program. Um, and I've learned so much about the parks and their history because of you. And thank you so much for all the effort that you put into it, all the hours that you've spent writing books or audio guides or just sitting there making a podcast and getting together with all these guests, see them. Imagineers or, you know, little Timmy Foster, you know. <laughs> um, you guys are so great. Thank you so much for everything that you do. You have really helped me out a lot through these past few weeks of my life. And it, it means so much to me every time I listen to one of your podcasts. So, thank you so much for everything you do, Lou. It, Hey, Lou. It's Christine Lawson from Flowertown, PA. It's a beautiful Saturday here. The snow's melting. I just listened to episode 314. That's where I'm at and going backwards. And I was cracking up. It was you guys talking about top 10 places to stop and smell the roses. So I'm in the grocery store listening with my headphones and I'm laughing and people are looking at me like I'm crazy, but that's okay. So my top 10, one of mine, what I like to do because I'm a big coffee drinker, so I get up before everybody else, I get my coffee, and if I'm at staying at the cabins, I go, and I stand out on the deck, and I listen to the wildlife, and I just have a moment of quiet and sip my coffee before the chaos ensues and everybody gets up. And then also, when I stay at Art of Animation, I have my mug on to get my coffee and just watch everybody um, rushing to the and getting their breakfast and everybody getting the pools ready for the day. And it's just a nice, quiet moment to myself, and I really, really enjoyed that. And then I've been listening to Deep Park Radio, which does, like, all the background music for the parks, and it made me think of a good segment. I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but sort of um, playing excerpts from the background park music, and you guys have to try and guess where it's from, or what song it is. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but that might be a good top ten for you and Timmy Foster to go back to that. Great week. See you guys in the box. Bye-bye. Hello, Lou Mangiello. This is Andrew Thompson calling from Quinnell, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, I still love your podcast. Um, I had a really good time at Disneyland during the Halloween time in 2017. It was my first time ever doing that. And when I got there, there was not much Halloween stuff, and they were putting Christmas stuff up. So I got to see, like, Halloween and Christmas all in one place. It was like I was in the Nightmare Before Christmas movie. It was really, really cool. I got the trick-or-treat. And I dressed up as Walt Disney, the founder of Disneyland. So people recognized I was Walt Disney, had a great time, had a whole bunch of cool 
stuff, toys and rides and stuff that I got to do. It was just a magical time. Now, my next trip won't be until 2021 when I go to the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World in Florida. I am so excited to see that, and I just want to wish you all the best in your podcast, and I do a stitch impression. Oh, aloha. A Yoda impression. Eh. Um, and a Mickey impression. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, uh, I will uh, talk to you later, and I love your podcast. Keep up the good work. Talk to you later. Bye. Hello, Lou Mangiello. It's Darlene Nagy from West Seneca, New York. Thank you so much for taking us to San Diego with you. It was a trip to watch you there. I miss it so much. I was just there in September. But I do have almost 75 days to my birthday trip, and you have almost 102 days. See what I did there? Until that Alaska cruise, it's going to be so much fun. You guys are going to have such a blast. I was just looking at all of my pictures from Ketchikan and Juno and Tracy Arm, and it's such a beautiful, breathtaking cruise to take. I'm so happy that everybody's getting to go on that one. And then I have 208 days until I get to meet up with Stuart and Michelle in Walt Disney World again. And happy birthday to Stuart. It's his birthday this weekend. And it's just it's going to be so much fun. This is going to be another fantastic year. And I hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful week. And I will talk to you real soon. Love and hugs. Keep doing what you do, Lou. We really appreciate it and love you. Bye-bye. You've got a friend in me. Yeah. Chickens, what are you doing here? Shoo, 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 shoo. What? careful. What? Those chickens are hypnotized. <laughs> hypnotized chickens? Yes, they're in my power. Gonzo, I, I don't believe this. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. Whoa, that's scary stuff. Hey, should we be worried about the kids in the audience? No, it's all right. This is culture.